From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CQ on Congress podcast. I'm Ellen Ferguson, sitting in for Sean Zeller. This week, we're going to talk trade. We will be continuing to negotiate. We're going to work with China on where we left off to see if we can make a deal. That's President Trump announcing the restart of U.S.-China trade talks at the G20 summit after meeting with the Chinese President Xi Jinping. Wall Street soared on the news and on the U.S. decision to delay imposing additional tariffs on Chinese imports. So what can we expect from the talks? And what kind of challenges do businesses face in the meantime? We've got three people here to help us break it down. First, I'm joined by former U.S. trade negotiator Wendy Cutler, then trade economist Christine McDaniel, and my colleague, CQ Roll Call trade reporter Mark Buschetti. Should we expect a compromise? The compromise is one part of it, but both sides really need the political will, the political guidance, the political commitment to reach that deal. And I don't think either side feels the urgency right now. I'm Wendy Cutler. I'm vice president of the Asia Society Policy Institute. I served in the U.S. government for just about 30 years as a U.S. trade negotiator with the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative and have extensive negotiating experience, not only with China, but with countries all around the world. I think Trump thinks that the Chinese economy is weak, it's getting weaker, and that means he has more negotiating leverage if the U.S. waits this out. And China, on the other hand, I think they... Xi Jinping thinks that China has more wherewithal to really live through a tariff war than the U.S. Let's be honest, China has an authoritarian government, it controls the press, and it's able to really pump stimulus into the economy should the economy slow down and hurt more from further tariff increases. So I think things will move forward, and at some point I'm still trying to be optimistic and think there will be a deal but I don't think it's imminent. I don't think it's something we're going to see in the coming weeks. Well, the, the presidents have different styles. President Trump has negotiated very publicly and talks a lot about what he wants done in trade agreements and what his concerns are about China and reducing the trade deficit. On the other hand, we have President Xi Jinping basically saying very little. I mean, he has he picks his, his places where he lays out what he's going to do or what is important to China. Can those two styles be meshed together, or what, what should we be watching for? Is one of them more the person that we should be watching to see if there's any kind of progress or any kind of uh, new obstacles to a, agreement, or should we keep an eye on both of them? I think we need to keep an eye on both of them, but I also think we need to keep in mind to which audiences they're playing. And a lot of times both are playing to their domestic audiences or they're playing to each other. For example, I think when President Trump says he's in no rush, part of that probably means that he thinks he has more negotiating leverage over time. But I also think part of it, he's trying to tell China um, that we're not desperate for a deal, so you need a deal, deal more than us, you need to meet us more than halfway. So I would listen to all of these words, but really take them with a grain of salt. Well, is President Trump misreading China on that? 
Well, I think all throughout these negotiations, the U.S. has misread China on occasions, and China has misread the United States on occasions. And because of this, these misreadings, miscalculations have made, and frankly, I think that really led to the breakdown of the talks just seven weeks ago when China totally misread the U.S. side. I think Xi Jinping thought Trump wanted the deal desperately, so therefore China could just exhale things out of the negotiating text and Trump wouldn't care and would say, fine, we're done. That didn't happen. The talks broke down. China misread the U.S., but the U.S. has also misread China. I think the U.S. thought that China's economy was so weak and the tariffs would make it so difficult for Xi Jinping that China would basically agree to the U.S. demands in this negotiation. That has not happened. China's position, I think, has hardened over the past seven weeks. Do you think one of the reasons that the United States' broader economy has not felt the impact of tariffs, uh, could it be possibly the uh, exclusion process that the uh, administration has put into place? Or is that just such a small piece of the overall equation that you really can't attribute anything to it. Yeah, I think what we've seen with respect to the tariffs um, increases that have been put into place, and so far the United States has put $250 billion worth of tariffs in place on Chinese imports. The pain has been felt very directly by certain businesses, by certain workers, by certain consumers. But we haven't seen an overall hurt in the economy, and I think part of that, our economy is so big, and let's be honest, I think the tax cuts have really helped revive the U.S. economy. The U.S. economy is doing well, so we haven't really felt the hurt widespread across the economy. However, I think if the United States does go ahead at some point with the additional $300 billion worth of tariffs that it has been talking about, I think that those tariffs would have um, had more widespread, caused more widespread pain, particularly for consumers who would have seen the price of things like TVs, footwear, luggage, toys, a lot of their everyday needs, the prices of their everyday needs going up. We know what the United States wants or what the Trump administration says the United States wants. What is it that China wants? What can it possibly be looking for to get out of any kind of deal with the United States? Well, I think to a large extent at this point, China just wants to get the United States off its back, do this deal, and go back to the way things were. But I don't think that's possible. I also think that there are some in China, although not the majority, who really see um, U.S. requests for reform and market opening as benefiting the Chinese economy and really helping it grow and prosper and innovate over the years ahead. So you'll see in certain sectors the Chinese are really embracing reform and market opening, particularly in the financial services sector where they know that an open capital market is in their interest. However, when it comes to the high technology sectors and the sectors kind of of the next generation, that's where we're seeing a lot of this friction. And there, I think there are really some fundamental differences. I think China really wants to promote and nurture its own national champions that will be global leaders in a number of high technology sectors. And the United States is very concerned about this because it believes that the Chinese companies in these areas are not competing on a level playing field with U.S. private sector companies. Well, thank you very much, Wendy Cutler, for joining us today and explaining China and the U.S. talks to us. Well, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. 
You're listening to CQ on Congress, and this week we're talking trade. Now we turn to trade economist Christine McDaniel and my colleague Mark Huchetti to discuss exclusions. It is a process that Congress insisted the administration provide to help businesses that have been hard hit economically by the tariffs. I'd like to thank both of you for coming in to speak with us. Thank you. Love talking about trade. Have the exclusions, and this is for you, Christine, have the exclusions blunted the economic impact of the tariffs for for companies and for the larger, broader economy? So that's complicated. (laughs) It's it's not a yes or no kind of answer. So remember, a, a tariff is a tax, and how that gets passed on through, you know, the channels really depends on the product, the market conditions, the level of competition, exchange rate fluctuations, a number of things, right? There's no one answer that's going to address everything. We, can, we see in the macro uh, level data, like for example, the consumer price index, we haven't seen a full pass through to con- the consumer price index yet. Most of the tariff uh, so far and, the, and, so, and hence the exclusions have really been on capital goods and intermediate goods, obviously steel and aluminum, but then in the Section 301 for China, largely capital goods and intermediate goods. And so for there, you know, we'd be expecting less of an effect on consumer prices and more of an effect on, you know, the, uh, the prices that U.S. manufacturers pay, um, you know, and from what we're hearing at, anecdotally from them directly, they're taking the hit in the margin, right? So the Chinese exporter is getting a little bit less, the U.S. importer and U.S. manufacturer are paying a little bit more. And so, so far, it sounds like that's what's been happening, and they're, they're eating it in their margins. So even though we can't say broadly what the exclusion process has meant, but for individual companies, it's a help. So Mark, can you tell us how popular these exclusions are, or the demand for exclusions, the number of applications or requests? Well, the demand has been pretty strong. On China tariffs, on the first $50 billion in Chinese imports, uh, there were roughly 13,500 exclusion requests, and roughly about 44% of them were approved. So I'd say demand has been pretty good. And are we expecting demand to surge if we get to the point where the president ends the delay on the additional tariffs on the $300 billion in Chinese imports? Is, 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 have there been any kind of estimates as to how many more exclusions there requests there might be? Well, USTR has opened up the the two hundred billion dollars in Chinese imports to exclusion requests. That's just starting now, but they estimated they could get as many as sixty thousand requests. To clarify, Section two thirty two primarily applies to steel and aluminum imports. And Section 301 are tariffs that the president imposed on, at this point, up to uh, on Chinese imports valued up to $250 billion. And that includes a range of, of products, some consumer products, um, some industrial products. And the big mother load of potential tariffs on Chinese imports is the $300 billion that's been put on hold. And that will probably encompass all consumer goods. So you know, TJ Maxx shoppers, you may be seeing it. But let me just ask you a very, very basic question. Why is there the exclusion process? Well, my understanding is that the exclusion process was intended to minimize the impact on the economy. 
if you look at the 301 process, USTR uh, laid down a couple of criteria which they ask companies to address. Will it cause serious harm to your company if you can't get this, this good? And if you look at those criteria, it's clearly an attempt to minimize the impact on the economy. Christine? Right, right. It's, it's an attempt to, to minimize the, um, the adverse effects on, on the economy and in particular, you know, U.S. US firms. It's not surprising they have an exclusion process. Usually when there is a new rule or regulation or, or any change in policy, there is a chance for the government wants to hear from, from the public, and that includes U.S. firms. If I could just uh, uh, throw in a question uh, very quickly. All of this has caused a lot of uncertainty for manufacturers, small, medium, large manufacturers. And of course, that may cause some uh, indecision when companies are looking at investments. Has there been any inve- uh, any evidence that the tariffs, whether it's the 232 or the China 301, has impacted business investment? It's too early to tell, right? We don't have the data on that yet. Um, and, you know, we probably won't know for quite a while. Uh, what we do know is that investment is largely driven by, well, a number of factors, but uh, the level of uncertainty is a big one. And that we can track. And you can definitely see uh, a spread there. Uh, you know, not, that's not trivial. So it's, and you know, but that can reflect many different things. Tariffs, just one of those factors. And it's not really even tariffs per se, right? It's not knowing um, how long they're going to stay on, not knowing if they're going to go up or down. Um, not knowing if they're going to be spreading to other other products, other countries. So, you know, even the smaller guys will tell, tell us, you know, look, if it's going to be X percent, fine. Just tell us it's going to be X percent and then we'll get on with it, right? But if it's going to, you know, but if it's going to change, if it's going to spread to other countries, other products, they don't know how long it's going to stay on. That makes it really hard for them to plan for the future. Well, um, you've touched on uncertainty, which in a number of interviews I've done with different types of businesses is a big factor. As you said, they generally say, just let me know what's going to happen and I can plan for it or I can at least know that I can't plan for it. You know, we were talking to um, this one manufacturer out of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and he was saying that, you know, that they um, that and, and, and you read through the testimony also at, the, at Section 301 USTR hearings and you see this. And there is this theme that that emerges, especially from the small and medium sized manufacturers, that um, the labor market is so tight right now that, you know, so firms can they can move labor, they can move capital. They have other they, they only have so many things that they can move around to um, to reduce costs with the labor market so tight, they're reluctant to let go of people. Right, because it takes time to train people, skill them up, get find reliable workers, especially the the scarce workers, the um, who have particular skill sets. And for a lot of these uh, small, medium sized manufacturers, once they find these workers and train them, they don't want to let them go. So they're taking, you know, they're eating it in their margin. Um, they can only do that for so long, right? And so they're starting to get to the point now where they're okay. You know, do we get out of China? Where do we go? How much is that? Ex- you know, how much is that going to save us? How many people can we let go of? We talk to manufacturers who are, you know, do these high precision instruments up in uh, Wisconsin and they, you know, so they're selling to, to medium to large, very large scale buyers. And in the beginning, you know, they, they realized they were going to have to take the hit themselves. 
Um, then the terror, nobody really knew for sure how long this would last. Mm. Then, you know, this tariff stayed on. Then it was like, okay, you know, we check in with these guys every month or so. And then the tariff stayed on and like, well, now it's starting to really take a hit. And we're going to have to reassess where we're going to be cutting because the amount of tariffs they were paying was actually more than what they were making on most of their product lines. And then, the, um, you know, just last time we talked to them, now they are basically taking their resources away from the R&D and next line innovation and basically putting their people to work on how are we going to retool our supply chain? How are we going to get out of China? So now they're taking their time and their people figuring out how to retool their supply chain instead of moving forward on innovation and the next line of products. So, you know, does that show up in the data right now? No. So firms can take a hit in their margins up to a point, and after that, they're going to have to make some hard choices on labor. Well, I want to thank you, Christine McDaniel and Mark Buschetti, for coming in and talking to us about the exclusion process and so many other things that are attached to this and giving us some things to kind of keep an eye on in the coming months. Thank you. Thanks for inviting us. That does it for us today. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us.